0: From Northern California Public Media, welcome to Living Downstream, the environmental justice podcast. I'm your host, Steve Mencher. This time, the Klamath Water Wars. There are 90,000 dams on U.S. rivers. 8,000 are big, higher than 50 feet tall. And they're getting old. Roughly 70% were built more than 50 years ago. In the last decade, thousands of dams have come down because they're expensive to repair or update to meet environmental standards. But dam removal is a very contentious issue. And jockeying for influence over these decisions often pits groups against each other. Emrys Eller tells the story of a long fight over the dams on one western river, the Klamath. It's a story he's followed for years. Some of the players are now off stage, but the issues remain. A quick warning on language. You'll hear a few expletives that are the natural language of those living this story. We've let them stand.
1: In the summer of 2016, I toured a series of dams on the Klamath River, right along the California-Oregon border. Whoa. How high is this? This is this dam is 120 feet high. A spokesman for the power company is telling local media about the dam's possible destruction.
2: No one knows about a dam removal project that's ever been larger or more complicated anywhere in the world. So.
1: And the first order of business is dynamite.
2: But yeah, this is 120 feet of concrete that's
1: You know, been here for a hundred years, so. TNT is really the only option. Uh, yeah, Yeah, I mean, yes. They hope the blasting will begin by 2020, but Native Americans in the Klamath Basin have been trying to remove these dams for decades.
3: This river and what it provides is life, and it is personal.
1: Leif Hillman is a leader in the Karuk tribe.
3: We look at these issues as life and death. I mean, they're, they're not nothing less than that.
1: For thousands of years, his people lived off the Klamath River. They want the dams gone to open up salmon spawning grounds. Pacificor, the power company that owns the dams, has agreed, in part because the dams are old and just don't produce a ton of power.
4: This isn't Grand Coulee Dam we're talking about here. It seemed to create more conflict than power, so... <laughs>
1: Well, maybe all that hot air
4: could be turned into. Oh, yeah, could turn some windmills with that stuff that's been blowing around. (laughs) Take the dams right out, so.
1: Jim Carlton is a farmer from a few miles upstream in Oregon. He's right. The whole dam removal issue was just a mess. Years before the Bundy family had armed standoffs with authorities in Nevada and Oregon, the Klamath Dams became a focal point for the debate over control of federal land and resources. The dams were a clear, concrete symbol of that debate. On the removal side, you had the tribes, conservation groups, and commercial fishermen. And on the other side were farmers, ranchers, and just local folks from the county where the dams actually are. Sometimes, two-sided fights can easily devolve into partisanship and name-calling. Nuance gets lost and the other side become caricatures. And that's what happened here, at times to a childish extent. Cowboys and Indians. Fish versus farms.
3: People talk about environmental justice, social justice. Well, it turns out people use those terms. They don't have any idea what they even mean.
1: There's an old saying in the West, whiskey's for drinking and water's for fighting over. And this is an old kind of American story, a Western, Except with not quite as many guns and much less moral certainty. We're driving down to the Klamath River outside Happy Camp, California.
3: So last year uh, I went down and I brought home 50 salmon.
1: Leaf's family tries to live off traditional food.
3: Uh, our two. Um, primary staples are salmon
1: and acorns. He and his wife and soak and then pound so the acorns.
3: They call it a mush or whatever. Mm. But, um, and I like it kind of thick.
1: Most group people ate this way until really not that long ago. When Leif was a boy, the Bureau of Indian Affairs started giving out really unhealthy food.
3: High starch, high sugar, heavily processed foods.
1: And as you can imagine, their health declined. Now they have high rates of obesity, diabetes, heart disease—you name it. Um, you know,
3: have serious rates of uh, alcohol and drug abuse in our communities. Um, suicide epidemic. What's wrong with this picture? Well, it didn't happen overnight.
1: Leaf says the community's health really went downhill when the last of the four dams was built in the 1960s. That's when the salmon populations really started to decline. All this is why he drinks stuff like ceremonial acorn water.
3: It's full of uh, rich in all kinds of vitamins and stuff uh, that's uh, very healthy for you. It just tastes like shit, you now. Yeah, I like, yeah.
1: <laughs> It's also why he's so determined to undam the Klamath. It's
3: like, no, I mean, you can't, when, when you start um, breaking it out into how it's affected our communities socially, how it's affected our health, it hits pretty close to home.
1: After talking with Leaf, I drove up to Oregon to meet the other side.
4: Jim, yep, just give me about two seconds here. Jim Carlton,
1: the farmer we met earlier, took us on a tour of his farm. Kick
4: whatever you need to kick out of your way. Hmm? I grew up right there in that house. That's where my parents live. Right out there's my house, and that was homesteaded by my great grandfather in 1909. Wow. original
1: In the early 20th century, the Bureau of Reclamation built dams and canals to make irrigation possible across the West. In the Klamath Basin, the feds gave away farms to veterans. So that would make you a
4: third generation? Two, three, four. My son would be Fizz the Fifth. Where's he at? Is
1: he right there? i uh,
4: hauling hay right now. What do you farm? Potatoes for Frito-Lay, and then we do organic potatoes, reds, yellows, Russets, purples.
1: We drove into a potato silo.
4: How we doing Samuel? Pretty good, how are you? Good.
1: A big one. It's pretty much,
4: you take the wall out, and put bleachers in, you can play football, so.
1: (laughs) If you've ever had a Frito-Lay potato chip or organic spud from Whole Foods, it quite possibly came from Jim's farm.
4: We have contracts with Frito-Lay for potato chips and they want potato chips every year. You know, Frito-Lay doesn't want to quit having potato chips in Walmart. That's a bad thing for them.
1: And he had no issues delivering those potatoes until the water wars.
4: One thing we never worried about here, you know, for a hundred years was water. There was always water and always plenty of water. And all of a sudden, there was
1: none. During a drought in 2001, the Klamath Lake didn't have enough water to meet endangered species acts.
4: For a couple species of suckerfish, along with... Endangered Coho Salmon in the Klamath River.
1: It's a subspecies of Coho Salmon found only along the California border.
4: And so, agricultural got nothing that year.
1: Crops dried up.
4: This time of year in 01, everything was brown, burned up. There was no water. The pastures, the hay fields, there were no potatoes. There was no grain. There was, there was nothing. It just looked like a desert. Those were the bad old days, I'll say.
1: That's Leaf Hillman again.
4: Yeah, tensions were high. You know, my boy was 6, my girl was 3, and the payments don't stop. Yeah. Cuz just cuz the water didn't show up, the banks they still showed up and wanted their money.
1: Farmers blamed Indians because the tribes wanted water diverted for salmon.
4: One of the theories going around at the time was the environmental groups just wanted the uh, you know, take over the west and return it back to its native habitat and, you know, all this. And, you know, everybody started just hanging out at the head gates up there because nobody had any place to go. Things were pretty ugly. There was big rallies.
1: They had a tractor brigade one day and a symbolic bucket brigade another.
4: We brought up a busload from here. We were starting the Bucket Brigade. A couple thousand people there, you know, cowboy hat. And you've got farmers standing literally across the street from them who are losing their farms, and... It was very emotional, and yeah, a lot of, you know, people are screaming back and forth, chants and their slogans human in our face back and forth and back and forth and backwards racist
3: it was hateful kind of stuff spitting on us
4: the fishermen were fighting with the farmers the farmers were fighting with the tribes and the tribes were fighting with everybody and the fire males were fighting against the farm. you know it was a very volatile situation and everybody's blaming everybody else for their
1: problems leaf and others i spoke to said farmers called them mohawks squaws and sucker lovers for the endangered sucker fish. Jim says some people were racist, but it was mostly just about the water.
4: You know, a, a, not a racist deal. I don't believe that was it. Like I said, it is more like it was a cowboys and Indians deal, you know.
1: Authorities like cops, sheriffs, and even the US Secretary of Interior were there protesting with the farmers. And at some point, some cowboys opened the gates to the main irrigation spigot.
4: They didn't weld them open, but they went and opened them.
1: The feds did shut the water off.
4: About a week went by or two weeks. They went in at night and did it again.
1: So federal marshals had to place round-the-clock guards at the A Canal.
4: They sat on one side of the fence and all the farmers sat on the other. Kind of like going to the zoo. And stare at the federal, federal marshals <laughs> instead of the monkeys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and
3: so our community was mad as hell. Not because we want somebody else to suffer, but because we saw this... <laughs> People defying the law. You, they got the FBI and the Marshal Service up there. And uh, those guys stand there with their hands on their hips. and.
1: Uh, Leaf says his people are uh, pissed because of what they see as an unequal application what, uh, of the law.
3: Uh, many in our community have always felt is that, yeah, the United States Constitution wasn't written for me. Mm-hmm. going to perform an act of civil disobedience you better be in the company of uh, some white people if there's a clash between federal authorities and Indian people we know what happens you know our people
1: die is what happens In a nearby town, some white guys decided to visit their native neighbors one night. Chilliquin is a tiny tribal town with one cafe, one grocery store, and a post office. They parked at Chilliquin Elementary and pulled out guns. Then, they shot up the school signage and into the air, like minor villains in a John Wayne movie. Nobody was hurt, but many tribal members were spooked. The threat of violence is real. At the height of the tension, Leaf was back downstream and hearing about the ongoing protests in Oregon. So he told some Karuk guys to check it out. You know, see what's going on.
3: But don't bring any guns. And they're like, you know, fuck you, you know. Uh, we're bringing guns. You think you're crazy? You're going to go up there? All these damn crazy white people up there?
1: A few days later, he got a call. His crew was sitting on a hogback ridge above the main irrigation canal.
3: Uh, Federal officers are there, and a bunch of uh, these farmers have just showed up. And it looks like they're gonna, the authorities are stepping aside, and these guys are gonna open up the A canal. What do you want us to do? And uh, he said, I can hit him from here. If I'd have said, take the shot, they would have have done it. I told him I wanted him to come home, and I wanted him to get the fuck off that ridge and come home.
1: By that fall, many farmers had gone bankrupt or retired. The following spring, the Bush administration made a big public show of turning the irrigation taps back on. Despite protests, the river ran shallow throughout 2002. And shallow water means warm water, ideal conditions for an algae that's usually kept in check by the cold, flowing river.
3: We have toxic blue-green algae blooming in this river at times from the headwaters to the Pacific Ocean.
1: This algae grows in the dam reservoirs and can cause disease in the gills of salmon. An aerial video from 2002 shows dead salmon crowding the riverbanks. Experts estimate as many as 68,000 fish died in 2002. Rotting salmon are everywhere. Jim, the potato farmer, had an old friend from Chilliwack the tribal town where some cowboys shot up the school.
4: Twelve years old, we played on an all-star team, baseball team together. Competed against it all through high school, football, basketball, baseball. You know, known the family, known the stuff, always got along.
1: That summer, his that friend summer, invited summer.
4: him over. I'm like, you know, I might drive up to Chillicothe and get my ass kicked. Because it was literally, you know, cowboys and Indians almost. Which side are you on? You're either for us or you're against us.
1: The tension went way beyond a couple of buddies running for opposite ends of the football field but they just cracked some beers and got into it
4: yeah he told me you know he says i don't want to see all you guys dry up and blow away i'm not here to take your farm i'm not here to see you lose your farm i said well, i'm not here to see your guys historic and you know all your cultural and all that i said I'm, we're not here to wipe you guys off the map either
1: Jim thought that if they just sat down and had lunch, they could probably figure out a way to make it work for everybody.
4: And he said, yeah, you and I could probably get it sorted out. But he said, there's too much outside pressure and too much other involvement. He said, there's no way they'd ever let you and me sit down and try to figure out how to solve this.
1: And that was probably true. Pressure came from all sides. Commercial fishermen, tribes, environmental groups, ranchers, politicians, farmers, Republican lawmakers railed against endangered sucker fish in Congress. Various groups sued other groups. To avoid all that pressure, a small group of tribal members and farmers decided to meet in secret.
3: The very first meeting was a covert meeting that we had in Wairika.
1: Leaf found himself face-to-face with a handful of the biggest farmers and ranchers.
3: The guys who have the names on the lawsuits, right? Uh, you yeah. <laughs> know, those guys.
4: Everybody's staring at each other across the room wanting to throw rocks at everybody.
3: First
1: thing one farmer says.
3: Turns out uh, my
1: family's been doing this for, you
3: know, four generations. Turns out, do you realize who you're talking to here? It's like, um... My- Look good in a damn uh, Donald Trump rally or some damn thing, but, yeah, you know, uh, they ain't going to hold no mud here.
1: Another tribal leader, a guy named Troy Fletcher, spoke up.
3: Right here, right now, I'm going to propose a ceasefire. We quit damn, uh, throwing bombs at each other in the media.
1: And despite pending litigation, no new lawsuits. Other than that, the ceasefire just stipulated that they keep coming to the table. They decided to negotiate like any modern, big-time deal-makers.
4: Really? We're gonna go play golf with the Yurok tribe guy? We going hit each other with golf clubs or what? And they came
3: down here and we took them fishing.
1: Somewhere between swinging golf clubs and fishing rods, they realized they had something in common.
3: We all got death threats from our own community. Really? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every one of them had people in their communities who wanted to damn kill them, wanted to beat them, wanted to tar and feather them, wanted to say that they were traitors for you know dealing with those Indians uh, who are gonna, you know, sell them down the river, to, you know, whatever.
4: After a while. It turned out, well one of the same things at the end of the day.
3: It turns out, saw ourselves in the mirror.
4: Everybody wanted to figure out how to survive and do what they love to do.
3: They, they wanna know uh, if their kids are gonna be able to, to live the lifestyle that they're living. Ultimately, you know, their lifestyle is threatened and so is ours. When
4: you finally got a lot of the outside interest, I would say, kind of pushed to the side, and let the people sit down at the table that were directly involved, you know, the farmers and the fishermen and the tribes. A lot of stuff could be worked out, and I think that's where they came together and crafted the KBRA.
1: The KBRA, or Klamath Basin Restoration Agreement, was the deal that grew out of those meetings. It took years to build relationships and negotiate. But in 2010, 40 different parties signed the KBRA, which covered dam removal and how to fund it, who got how much water, conservation efforts for a handful of species of fish and birds, and much, much more.
3: Everybody's not going to get what they want. Everybody's going to have to make some sacrifice and feel some pain.
4: You know, the farmers are giving up water, the tribes are giving up water, but everybody gets a win out of the deal when it's over.
1: They managed to look beyond the caricatures. To see each other not as cowboys and Indians, but just as people. They finished the 1,800-page KBRA and sent it off to Congress for approval. And for the next five years, nothing really happened. And next, we're going to look at why nothing happened. How a small, vocal minority sabotaged the deal. Pacificor, which owns the dams, is owned by the billionaire investor Warren Buffett. On a hill overlooking the Iron Gate Dam, I talked to a spokesman named Bob Gravelly. So yeah, tell me why why the KBR didn't pass in Congress.
2: We, we had the settlement agreement was negotiated and signed by more than 40 parties, tribes, agriculture interests, the company, the states, the, the federal government. But just in the current the current Congress, the idea of facilitating the removal of of dams um, just proved too unpopular to be able to overcome. Congressman LaMalfa, um, you know, never, never did come around to supporting the agreements. And,
1: Doug LaMalfa is a lifelong farmer who represents this part of Northern California. Of part of his resistance is that most people in Siskiyou County, where the dams actually are, don't want to remove the dams. So um, I went to talk to them to figure out why. What do y'all think about dam removal?
2: So I don't have an opinion on dam removals in general. Obviously, there are some that are probably justified. This one is not.
1: That's Rich Marshall.
2: Rich Marshall, I currently raise uh, meat goats in Scott Valley and uh, basically retired.
1: He's the president of the Siskiyou County Water Users Association. Now we're going to get into the nitty gritty of why some people believe dam removal is a bad idea.
2: We don't feel first and foremost, that the salmon are actually threatened. Scientific misrepresentation has been abundantly clear. It's only through a uh, sleight of hand by the federal governments.
1: Basically, where the fish spawn is part of what makes them different from other coho salmon. But Rich claims there just haven't been enough studies, and that you can find coho salmon all the way from the Gulf of Mexico to the Sea of Japan. He also refutes the piece about toxic algae arising from low water flows. He says the reason is bird shit.
2: Birds, when they poop, and they poop extensively in there, they have phosphorus.
1: Phosphorus supposedly warms the river and creates nutrients for the algae to feed on. Then there's the devaluing of lakefront property on the reservoir.
2: We're talking about a billion dollars worth of at least damage to the real estate and the economy.
1: There is money in the $450 million that's earmarked for removal, set aside for reparations. But nothing even close to a billion dollars.
2: What is this really all about? Why is it happening? Why is so much money being poured into this? It's a shell game, It's what it is. Pacific Corp. is trying to step out from behind the liability It's a corporate bailout for Warren Buffett.
1: Now, that spokesman, Bob Gravely, said Pacificor stands to gain nothing. He said if it wasn't for public pressure, they'd be happy to relicense the dams for another 50 years. But Rich's biggest concern is probably the physical damage dam removal would bring.
2: That bridge will be taken out off out of of Highway 5, and that's a military defense highway.
1: High 5? Yeah. They're just going to take out the bridge?
2: It'll be destroyed as, as part of the uh, process of the dams coming out. This is not a pretty picture. The plan is to blow holes in the dams and let the water, at the high water mark, take the dams out physically. So this destruction is, is absolute and complete.
1: The thing is, Rich Marshall's concerns, they're just not supported by the science. I spoke with a hydrologist from the U.S. Geological Survey. For years, Dennis Lynch oversaw dozens of researchers working on the Klamath Dam Removal Project. And your job was to weigh in on the science of it, not the politics, right?
0: That's correct, yeah. We don't have any resource responsibilities or regulatory responsibilities. We're just a, a science agency.
1: His team commissioned studies on dam removal's impact on fisheries, tribes, irrigators, the environment, and even lakefront real estate.
0: All the details of that, we call it our detailed plan.
1: Officially, it's called an environmental impact study. In short, it says removing the dams would restore fisheries along the coast and in the river. And without the reservoirs, the blue-green algae would just disappear. As for the cost...
0: Probably dam removal itself, just physically removing the dams, would be slightly under $100 million.
1: But after restoration and mitigation, it would cost about $292 million, which still leaves about $160 million just for anything else that might come up. I heard... Uh, Critics of dam removal say that the number that they came up with was $4 billion.
0: What do you think about that number? (laughs) So um, I think I know where those numbers are coming from.
1: He says if the toxicity levels in the reservoirs were too high to let flow downstream, then they would have had to dredge the lakes and make holding ponds. But that just isn't the case. Lynch commissioned two different studies to confirm that it was fine to wash away the sediment. But the $4 estimate obviously included other issues. Another thing I heard is that when all of that, when the reservoirs are released, that it's going to be this powerful kind of flood downstream that could even take out a bridge on I-5?
0: No. Um, Turns
1: out it's so, not as dramatic so, as blowing up the dam drawdown. with a great flood washing out everything in its, it's path.
0: It's a very slow drawdown.
1: Rich Marshall and me, and even the guy from Pacificor, were wrong. In other words, everybody who wasn't actually in charge of overseeing the removal process was wrong. So why didn't Congress pass the KBRA? What
4: about Congress? <laughs> God bless Congress, huh? <laughs>
3: we had the most unproductive Congress in history.
1: That's Jim and Leaf again, the farmer and tribal leader. The bill was first introduced in 2010, which was right when the Tea Party was picking up steam.
4: What I hear the fear in Congress is you take one damn, they're going to get them all. I believe that's kind of a radical scare tactic. You know, it's kind of the chicken little syndrome the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And that's the sort of
3: uh, ideological corruption that has taken over the Congress of the United States. And guys like LaMofa. Actually, pander to that sort of notion.
1: Partisanship was on the rise, and Congress became more and more split and passed fewer and fewer bills. Before we left the Siskiyou Water Users Office, my producer asked a final question.
3: Could I just, you mentioned Agenda 21
2: when we first came in. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, Agenda 21 is something you guys should be familiar with.
1: Agenda 21 is a United Nations environmental action plan. The U.S. is a signatory, but Agenda 21 is non-binding, which basically means some local governments try to use it as a blueprint for environmentally sustainable development. But most national agencies and governments ignore it completely. It's also at the center of numerous conspiracy theories. These theories really took off after the conservative talk show host Glenn Beck wrote a dystopian novel called Agenda 21. The premise is that liberal elites take over America and reduce citizens to baby breeding machines. These hardworking Americans' only other duty is to walk on energy producing treadmills. The Overlord's goal is to return the land to a pre-Columbus state
2: which means no people doing farming and ranching in the area. It means instead you have a uh, a system which is, uh, quote, conserved by the Native American tribes and uh, returned back to nature.
1: So some in Siskiyou County fear what their Native American neighbors represent.
3: Uh, You know, Siskiyou County um, doesn't recognize the Kuduk tribe. They oppose anything and everything that we do.
1: 80% of Siskiyou residents oppose dam removal. The thing is, Happy Camp, the tribal town where Leaf lives, is in Siskiyou County. Around 4% of the county's population is Native American. 85% is white. If they could
3: still hang
1: Indians in Siskiyou County,
3: they still would.
1: In the end, Congress didn't pass the KBRa, So most of the parties crafted a new deal called the amended KHSA. This one didn't need congressional support. This morning,
4: what's being called the biggest river restoration project in U.S. history took a big leap forward. We're starting to get it right after so many years of getting it wrong.
1: That's Jerry Brown, the governor of California. The Trump administration said in January of 2018 they wouldn't block the New Deal. But it only covers dam removal. It's not a water sharing agreement. And a couple years ago, the courts awarded the Klamath tribes senior water rights, which basically means they don't have to share water with the farmers. I asked Jim if he thinks the tribes will honor their agreement anyway. Senior water
4: rights? Yeah, I do. I really do. I think the farmers and the, and the tribes and the fishermen are all in agreement that that's the best solution.
1: Here's Rich Marshall again.
2: And Siskiyou County has never been allowed to be part of the conversation. They haven't been allowed to be part of that KBRa process. Why
1: not? They they were kept out of it. So you wouldn't you wouldn't go in, or you weren't would not weren't allowed to go in. So they so they. When pushed, Rich told me they were invited to the meetings, but they chose not to attend because they refused to agree to support a majority decision.
4: It's taken you know, 15 years to break down those walls and the stereotypes, you know, and that the, the tribes are after us and we don't give a shit about the tribes and the, we don't care about the fish or the fishermen and, you know, the farmers are bad and, the, you know.
1: Jim Carlton says if opponents somehow stop dam removal, it'll just piss off the tribes who could in turn void the water sharing deal.
4: Then you're right back to cowboys and Indians and, and shit shit would get bad again right. and why go there if they don't think they have a seat at the table well they're part of the problem not part of the solution and i mean that's the reality of it don't get their head out of their ass and come play ball so i tell them
1: The Siskiyou Water Users Association is run out of a bare office at the back of a tiny strip mall in Wairika. On one wall hangs an oil painting of David slinging a rock at Goliath. The only other decoration is a framed poster. It reads Siskiyou residents are under attack from a multifaceted government takeover. Protect your water. Protect your rights. Siskiyou is one of the biggest counties in California and sparsely populated. And like so much of rural America, the economy has really decayed here.
2: Reduction of the logging industry we used to have here, the mining industry, all the basic industries that drove the economy for Siskiyou County have basically been regulated against by the federal government. That's part of the reason why you have a feeling of being bullied by federal agencies.
1: Upriver, I asked Jim if the tribes had more rights to the water.
4: Philosophically or legally?
1: Philosophically.
4: Um, you know, that's a tough one. I don't know who has more rights than who. I think we all have the right to sit down and figure it out and get along. How's that for not answering your question? We're answering it with peace, political
1: correctness. (laughs) The dams will start coming out in 2019. Most farmers in the basin are still negotiating water-sharing agreements with the tribes. They're just trying to figure out how to share the water.
0: Emrys Eller and his brother Greg reported and produced this episode of Living Downstream, The Klamath Water Wars. He finished up the story last year, before Jerry Brown handed over the governorship to Gavin Newsom. Thanks to Anthony Garcia for engineering help. Music for this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. The Living Downstream theme music was written by David Schulman. I'm your host and senior producer, Steve Mencher. Darren Lachelle is the executive producer, and the president and CEO of Northern California Public Media is Nancy Dobbs. Subscribe to Living Downstream wherever you get your podcasts. Visit our website at norcalpublicmedia.org slash living. And if you see environmental injustice in your community, write to us at living at norcalpublicmedia.org. Living Downstream thanks our sponsors who make this podcast possible. A list is available at norcalpublicmedia.org.